I'm super excited about this next guest joining Hunkering Down on Peter Schorsch. Um, he is a longtime friend, one of the smartest guys I know, an entrepreneur, a lawyer, uh, savvy with tech. He is uh, he's political adjacent. He's worked on he worked on John McCain and he's worked on Joe Biden and he's uh, Jamie. He's worked for or with Jamie Grant, who's also a good friend. A lot of people in the process in Tampa Bay know this guy, uh, my friend, Tony DeSisto. How are you, Tony? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Peter. Um, it is funny. Like <clears throat> I right now have uh, the new puppy uh, that some people may have seen on Facebook. So in case you hear a little whimper, that's because uh, Molly is with me, or Molly, Dolly is with me right now. Uh, so, you know, I've told people this is a hunkering down podcast. You're going to hear the, the kids in the background, the dogs, etc. So um, if you'll bear with me. All right. I got to fess up, though. I owe you like a mea culpa or whatever. You actually went and knocked a door to, or you worked door to door for Joe Biden kind of on. Like you just wanted to help America, and you told me early on when everybody was doubting Biden that he was still going to be the nominee, and I was putting all my predicted money into Bloomberg and all that good stuff. So you were right. I was wrong. I Well, I appreciate that. This, this may be the first time I've, I've heard that, so that, that's great. I, I will correct the record slightly. So I actually, when I went to New Hampshire, I was with uh, my son. Uh, a big Mayor Pete fan, and so we knocked doors for Mayor Pete. Uh, ah, but, okay. sorry, sorry, but, sorry. but no, no, no. But the prediction is nonetheless true. Uh, I did think uh, that that uh, Joe Biden had a good chance, and it has turned out to be uh, correct. So now the thing that I've been right about is coronavirus. Uh, <laughs> Indeed, you have. Let's let's get back to the things you're right about. I know let's get back to. You. <laughs> People just don't know. I wish all of the conversations that you and I have had over the years, we had just secretly recorded each other. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. And we could just put those out because they are, I mean, we used to break down Game of Thrones episodes before people were doing the whole like recap journalism that has like blossomed in the era of streaming. Like that was what we did back in, you know, 2012, 2013. We would do an hour and a half on Game of Thrones and what happened. It's it's that is absolutely true. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the uh, the arc of those conversations started with, you know, great excitement and, and unfortunately ended with great disappointment. But I'm sure we'll you know, we, we can do another episode on that some other time. All right. Let me give you my TV hot take right now. I kind of previewed it to you last night. Um, because, as you well know, Bill Simmons and The Ringer are start, starting a podcast where they're going to break down every episode of The Wire, which is going to be like, I mean, that's just like the intersection of everything. All you need is Dave Matthews Band playing in the background and somebody serving me truffle fries. And basically, you have all of my favorite things uh, in life covered at this point. Um, so I have started rewatching The Wire just to be ready for that. Um, but I skipped ahead. I went to season five and as I'm watching it, wow, season five is better than it got credit for at the time. Um, the McNulty stuff, the fake serial killer stuff, it, 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 it's really out there, but 
that wouldn't surprise me if it happened nowadays because people are so bananas. And the journalism part was really prescient. Um, not that journalism wasn't falling apart already, but man, you could see the conversation that they had at the Baltimore Sun happening exactly at the Tampa Bay Times over the last couple of weeks. So season five, better than it got credit for back in the day. It got kind of uh, extricated for being nowhere near as good as seasons one through four of The Wire. Agree or disagree? Well, I will say uh, with this new podcast coming out, I anticipate doing a rewatch myself. It's probably been uh, three or four years since I've uh, watched all of the seasons in order. Um, I, I think as a standalone, you may be correct that season five as a season of television is better than we remember or better than giving credit for. The reason it was panned uh, so much at the time and I think holds up is because it was being compared to the first four seasons of what I think you and I have, have both discussed as, if not the best uh, television show of all time, one of the top three or five. And so uh, against that standard, I think uh, I'm going to I'm going to keep my opinion of, of season five the same is that it, it, it's not in the same ballpark as the first four. But I'll do the rewatch and then I'll we, we can come back on that one. I think I'm going to agree to disagree at this point. Did you uh, did you watch Top Boy, um, by the way, the uh, BBC show that some people kind of compared to The Wire? No, I, you recommended it, and so I feel like you're you're setting me up with this one. To, no, 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 no. You, but no, I I didn't. I I did not see it. Um, it's funny because I think there was an article, like maybe two weeks ago, and David Simon actually like responded to it. David Simon, for those of you who don't know, is the uh, creator of The Wire. Um, The Wire is so popular right now because people have time to stream, like so popular. Um. And it's just, it's amazing to me how this show, which ended, I believe, what was that, 2008, is probably as culturally significant now by a factor of 10, by a factor of 100, as it was when it first popped. Yeah, I mean, well, what's interesting about that show is it's had a couple of different renaissances. So it, it... when it came out, it was it, it was popular, but it but it really it was towards the end of that fourth or fifth season where people started rediscovering it. Um, and it's had a lot of legs. And I think it's because I mean, obviously, just because of the quality. Right. The, the story is impactful. Then it's impactful now. Right. There's a lot of parallels you can draw. But just, you know, it's just so well done and so well made. And there's so many rich characters that I think people can draw against that. It's you know, it, it's timeless in that way. What are you watching nowadays? um so a lot more time right as as you know i'm a big uh sports guy uh i will say uh i get into the so my wife and i are watching the final season of man in the high castle uh final season of homeland right those are sort of two of our um finishing up things the best thing that i've watched uh this period is a netflix documentary i did watch tiger king i thought it was really good the best one is, uh, I'll make a recommendation, Sunderland Till I Die. Uh, there was Season one came out a year ago, year and a half ago. Season two just dropped in April. And it's about uh, an English soccer team, uh, English football team to be proper. And, uh, and they're just sort of travails. And it's the best sports documentary I think I've ever seen. It's like seven episodes first season, six episodes second season. It's excellent. So that'd be my, my takeaway recommendation for you. 
do you have to like soccer to like it? No, no, it's, it's, it's not, it's about the, uh, the experience, the fan experience, um, the ownership, the background, right. The, the actual soccer on the field is is a small part and I don't think it's necessary to, uh, to love what I I won't get into it too much, but, but sort of what they're more broadly uh, talking about. What do you think happens with sports right now? I mean, you're a, a smart guy. Uh, you love the NBA. You follow, right? I mean, you follow yeah. you follow the business of sports like I do. Uh, I think you do at least. Um, what 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 does it look like? Is Mark Cuban right that we're going to have to play some games without fans for a month or so um, before we get to you know back to having the fans? Yeah, I mean, it, well, it depends on what your timeline is. So I know just. Um, you know, from from conversations you hear, and even you know, I got a, a buddy of mine who works for an NBA team. The, the NBA in particular is really um, st- strongly wanting to finish the season, right? So I guess if you if you look in the future, like I think by the time we get to football season, we're going to be in a place where, depending on you know what a, a second wave looks like, but we're going to be a place timeline wise where you can pretty you're going to have some changes, but I think you're going to open with fans. The question is, are we going to be able to finish the existing seasons? Right? I think hockey most likely not. I think basketball is really going to push probably something like a tournament all in one city or a couple of cities uh, without fans and and without travel um, to finish up this season and then be able to start next season. Uh, baseball, I have no idea. I mean, I've seen this, you know, the Grapefruit League, Cactus League type approach um, that I'm not so sure. And, and baseball is a tough one because the season's so long. You can't really, you know, you're probably going to look more at just, you know, cutting the season in half and, and going from there. I mean, driving all of this is television, though. I mean, the reason why they're doing yeah. this is, is not to play the games. It's so that, you know, that we don't bankrupt television, which is basically the only lifeline we have right now. I mean, it is amazing to think that, you know, at least of with the middle class and up, you know, what would we be doing if we couldn't stream and watch television and there wasn't Wi-Fi like that? You want to talk about how you would you'd see this um, you'd see people advocate for the herd immunity concept very quickly. It's if people who were stuck inside weren't able to play games or to stream Sopranos or what have you. Um I like yeah. the idea of the baseball stuff. I got to tell you, I I think, and, you know, again, this is influenced from what we read on Bill Simmons and some of the, you know, Mark Stern and all that stuff. I think this is a chance to reset some of the bad things that exist in, you know, current sports. Like, you know, do you want to realign some of the teams? Do you want to get rid of the designated hitter? Do you want to speed these games up? What do you want to do to make the games better at this point? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think you can you can use this as an opportunity, you know, particularly in the baseball context. I mean, I think the interesting thing you brought up, to, just to go back to your last point, was the idea that um, you know sports and their effect on television. I mean, the only thing keeping cable and the networks on TV is sports at this point, right? I mean, you know, I, I that's anecdotal. The broadcast, like myself, yeah, yeah the, the big broadcast. Yeah, I mean, you you if not the the move towards streaming would be even more pronounced than it is, right? A lot of people stay with their, you know, don't cut the cord simply because of sports. And now does this 
you know, this long period without sports lead to an acceleration of that? Do people hold on and say, sure, we don't have sports now, but it's going to come back, right? What does that look like moving forward? Is this an opportunity for streaming? You know, does streaming see this and take advantage of it by when the new uh, rights come up, uh, streaming services start bidding on it? I don't know, but I, I do think you could see something in and around that for sure. I think, I mean, and it's going to be people like yourself, quite honestly. I think it's going to be, you know, the Mark Sharps of the world for a little shout out to a mutual friend of ours. You know, I think um, we're going to need people who have had great ideas and have been kind of frustrated in their ability to execute, you know, breaking up things that, you know, people say things like, well, we've always done it this way, so we've got to do it another, you know, another way. I think, you know, the way we budget is going to go out the window because every budget is broken right now and it's going to be broken. Um, and so you have to rethink, I think you have to rethink everything. Like I, you know, I, I this idea, even if you just said, Hey, all right, you guys can go out back out inside and, and, and go at it. It, it it's just not going to happen. Like, you know, I was talking with, um, I was talking with uh, a, a high ranking statewide school official and, you know, we were talking about, you know, why do you not, why don't you reopen the schools? Why do you reopen the schools? If you are a well-to-do parent, there is no way you are going to put your kid back into a school before the end of the school year other uh, without a vaccine or clear evidence that children are 100% safe. And I can't believe that you would have a lot of I can't believe that there wouldn't be a lot of teachers, especially those over 50 that are going to go back into the classroom, knowing that little Johnny, you know, may have COVID-19, doesn't show symptoms because he's healthy, but could get me sick. And I just, you know, so we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to rethink all of that, too. I mean, so it's just like I, I don't think we I don't think we be I don't think we can grasp how this is going to reshape every facet of society at this point um, for well, for it, multiple years to come. Well, yeah, it's huge. I mean, you know, the interesting thing is it's a hugely interconnected uh, crisis from the economic standpoint, right? So it's not like you, you go back and you point to like 2008 and the recession, which was largely just a banking and liquidity scandal that had, sure, it rip, you know, uh, uh, rippled its way through the economy in other ways. But it was really a byproduct of that one thing. Whereas here you're having, to your point, all kinds of changes, right? On the demand side, on the liquidity side, on just whole sectors of the economy being, you know, closed down, right? Not like slowing down, just literally closing down. And all of the, you know, multiple factors that come off of that, right? The supply chains that supply them and um, all of that. So I, I think you... I think you're right. We're going to see, you know, sort of a wide scale change. And I do think it's an opportunity for, you know, born out of all of these uh, crises are you see changes in the way things are done and the way, um, you know, a lot of improvements in a lot of way. Right. A lot of doing things better. They're going to have to it's going to take, you know, you're going to have every sector is going to have to rethink how it's done. And therefore, they're all going to, you know, like Joe Biden today in his op ed was saying, you know, we're going to have to reconceive how we build restaurants, you know, very small, like that doesn't seem like the most important thing in the world, but you're like, wow, there's tens of thousands of current restaurants. What does that mean? What does that mean for construction? 
What does that mean for the profitability of that? Restaurants as economic generators, you know, you think about like Sundial and in, you know, Tampa um, Riverwalk and uh, what Jeff Finnick is building. They're basically built around restaurant cores. And if, you know, if we can't do that, you know, if you can't put 250 people at Parkshore Grill, is, is that restaurant then a viable opportunity for somebody? And, you know, and then all of the development that goes along with that. And, just, and then with that, all of the transportation and infrastructure issues that get impacted. If you are taking all of the restaurants in downtown St. Petersburg and you're now saying that we need to reallocate 75 percent of that capacity throughout the rest of the city, that changes all of the parking, development, transportation, code enforcement, police enforcement, you know, issues of an entire city, right? I mean, and that's just that's just if you agree to just change restaurants. That has nothing to do with healthcare or like what you were talking about, yeah. liquidity in the economic system. Um, well, no, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it, it changed all. I mean, as a so in your intro of me of the you know uh, seventeen different. Uh, hats I wear and ways to describe me. My actual job is in commercial real estate. And so, and we're seeing this. Whoa, 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 hold on. Breaking news. Wait, you have a, you have a real job? I do. Uh, I know that that is a change, but yes, for the, uh, for the last year and a half. I I thought you're more like, kind of like a, a man about town, you summer. Yes. Well, yes, that, that is true. But you know, I, I do have five children and also by the way, a new puppy. Uh, like you. And so, uh, you know, real jobs are nice. Uh, so, uh, but my point being is that we, I mean, that, you know, we're seeing that. And, and listen, a lot of these things, I mean, take, for example, just your restaurant. Those are changes that were already in the works, right? So restaurants were moving to smaller footprints, right? Uh, not only are you seeing like, you know, Grubhub and, and Uber Eats, that kind of delivery, but this idea of the ghost kitchens, right? All that stuff was sort of coming and people were, you know, there was a change in in that direction. And a lot of what is happening now is just an accelerating, you know, an accelerating impact of things that were already moving, right? Um, and so, but to your point, it's going to affect every, you know, it's going to affect construction, it's going to uh, affect permitting, it's going to affect how you lay things out, it's going to affect development, all of those things, um, distribution, right? All those, all those things are impacted by um, just a small change like that, and then multiply that across all the different sectors in the uh, in the economy. Well, and. We say all this as if this will happen in a vacuum and smoothly when there clearly could be the room for political actors to get in there and manipulate that situation one way or the other. You know, like this, I, I you, you read my Twitter feed, I believe. And so, I mean, I said the politics of the post-pandemic politics are going to be as vicious as we've ever seen anything because you're basically having to reorder a society on the fly and you are basically telling you know every hospitality worker no 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 no, you can't work in the hospitality service anymore sector anymore you now need to go become delivery people or you know you you're telling people to stay in or go you know go here or that they can't visit their how do you tell people that they can't go visit their dying grandmother i mean over and over again i mean how do you all of these things you're going to and i just don't know how much average Joe six pack can take of that, uh, without, you know, just saying the hell with it. Um, I mean, I think we're really lucky right now that there hasn't been a mass protest that there hasn't been, you know, 
I don't know that we haven't seen a crime wave. You know, crime has gone down. People are, I, I gotta say it, like it's very, it's amazing. You look at how the curve has flattened and it's amazing that people have basically abided by this for better or worse. You take out, you throw out the stupid shit about spring breakers doing this or people partying for Mardi Gras. It, to me, people seem decent here. They're, they are acting relatively frugal and American and doing the right thing. Am I wrong? No, no, I think you're right. absolutely right. I mean, I think there's been a, I think, Generally, to, to your point, there are you know exceptions, obviously, but to, for the most part, people are um, doing their part, and it's and it's and it's hard too, right? I think people should be uh, commended for that, right? It's 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 e it's much easier for you and I uh, to you know stay at home. To your point, with the economic means and the sort of the resources we have, um, and the ability to work from home, right? And and but there are a lot of people who are losing their jobs. I mean, look at the unemployment claims that are through the roof. And there are people who have jobs and are single parents and are trying to, you know, educate their kids at home while they're working. There's two uh, household parents with both parents work and they're trying to do that. And it's, I mean, I see it just, you know, in my company and with the uh, people I work with, it's an incredible challenging thing. And so the fact that for the most part, the reaction has been, you know, we're in this together and we're going to do the right things to help the, you know, slow the spread has been, I think, really great. I think it's, it's really optimistic. And, and, and to your point, although, sure, this will be an opportunity for, you know, negative politics coming out of it, I do think there's also potentially the opportunity of a little more uh, coming togetherness, right, of like working through this thing. Now, all of that is to say how long it goes. It's much easier for people to kind of follow along and try and do their part for four weeks or five weeks than eight or 12 or 16, right? So there is a point at which you're going to tip on these things. Um, and, and I also think you're going to see it from state to state, right? There's, there's big differences in how different areas are reacting. Um, you know, someone who likes local government and state government, uh, more the federal government, I actually think it's a good thing. But I do think you're going to see you're going to see differences and how that plays out over the next you know four to ten weeks. I think is important. How do you number one? Excuse me. How do you rate Governor DeSantis? And how do you rate my <laughs> my piece today, which I know you recognize as you know trademark Shorsh, you know um, just trying to draw to that seven of diamonds and be perfect on. And, and trying to please everybody and win the big pot. And if it goes, you know, you're like, oh, well, you know, I, it didn't work out. But so <laughs> the inside straight. Yeah, you know. Uh, exactly. No, I mean, I, I think I think your piece was was pretty good. All right. I think the communication <laughs> has been see what I'm, I'm doing the same thing. Uh, right. no, I think the communication aspect has, has been lacking. I think uh, I mean, I, I will say as someone, you know, just as a uh, as coloring my viewpoint, I was not very optimistic about Governor DeSantis through the election. I've been uh, surprised in a positive way about how he's handled the first couple of years as governor. Um, I think he's done a lot of good things. Uh, and, you know, I think he's been ill served by um, the communication in and around it. And, and uh, frankly, some of his performances, right? It's not just like his team, some of his performance where, you know, his decision-making, I think it remains to be seen, right? I think your point about, well, the numbers look pretty good so far. I think that's true. 
Um, and I think there is a balance between the health and safety of the citizenry and the economy, right? You can't go all the way in one direction. I think in, in regards to Florida, I'd probably tip a little bit more, um, you know, health and safety versus uh, economics where we are. Um, but I think overall, it's been, a, it's been a decently balanced approach that just hasn't been communicated very well. Um, Did I give a, a nice word salad uh, answer there and not really answer the question? That- uh, it was per, I mean, everybody's great except my column. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so typical uh, of you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, all right, let me ask you the questions I ask everybody else on my, uh, this is going to be officially the longest of these pods. Um, which is so funny. You're like, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Content. I needed it. Um, <laughs> uh, in fact, it's funny. I, I was supposed to do Jared Boskowitz, but he, I guess, is like busy, you know, with the state. Apparently. Um, so, uh, and he's like asked to be on. He's like bumped me like six times. I'm like, dude, I get it if you're busy. Like, it, <laughs> like you were like the last person that I was going to have on on this pod would be you. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, I'm like, nobody thinks that you're hunkering down. Anyways, uh, so when did, uh, at the, at the risk, at the risk of going longer, you said, you mentioned our mutual friend. If, if this is the longest, that means you haven't yet had Jamie on the podcast. Oh no, I don't, I don't, okay. I haven't, I haven't done that yet. Like that's, okay. <laughs> that's going to be, that's like a whole standalone, um, like, standalone like a three part series. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. remember like when, um, Simmons interviewed, uh, David Chang for the startup for Momofuku, uh, yes. like or uh, for um, what the restaurant out in LA, yeah. but like that it would take like it's nine parts. I mean, it's just like <laughs> you're just breaking down. Like healthcare is like its own three hour segment. Um, <laughs> you know, just like actually, and as funny as it is, I did have I had the I did have a chance to talk with Jamie, uh, like over drinks, like six months ago or. Maybe maybe it's longer now, and we had such a good time because it wasn't. It was like over a. It was like in person, and maybe I. I think I think maybe the problem is is like I call him. I need to like get him in person, um, and like get him when he's not driving to Tallahassee and he's just like wants to get from Chiefland to you know Perry and talk to somebody. Um, so, but you know, and he's also like it's interesting. I will say like to his credit and to the credit of a lot of these folks, they've stepped up. Like it is going to be really hard to make an argument that Florida state lawmakers themselves on an individual basis, haven't done a really like yeoman's job here of like trying to get unemployment applications filled out, um, leading food drives, trying to get more information. Like I, I mean, across the, I mean, Democrat and Republican, I would be surprised if an incumbent lost right now based on how hard I think some of these folks who are basically part-time legislators are working on this crisis. And that's just not ass-kissing. It's me seeing what these guys are doing Saturdays leading food drives in South Florida or answering unemployment application emails from people that I forward over to them. Anyway, so um, all right. Fair assessment. Give me when when did coronavirus get real for you? So I, I I'm probably gonna mess this up. It was one of two. I, I have two things in my mind. So one, I was out the night that um, 
Trump gave, I think it was one of his first uh, evening speeches, and it was the night that the NBA got canceled. Okay. I was actually out. Uh, I was at the, uh, I was out for drinks with a couple of uh, guys, um, and my wife was at home watching, and so I wasn't really paying attention, right? We were just out and hanging out. I wasn't, like, on my phone, and she started texting me updates about, like, oh, the NBA is canceled. Oh, you know, here's what Trump's saying things, and that was when it really felt uh, real, and then similar, I think it was either just before that or just after that when March Badness uh, got got canceled. Uh, for selfish reasons, my Providence College Friars were slated to be in Tampa, uh, and I was very excited about that. And so when that happened, it was uh, I was it, it, it was a bummer. And yeah, uh, and that's when it started. It, it really the sports aspect. I know that sounds like superficial, but seeing those things canceled, something that's so like prevalent in our lives, that's when it really uh, like struck. Like, oh, this is. This is not a couple week thing. This is a game changing type uh, type issue. The, um, the what I, I think we have to credit the NBA, like you know them and Tom Hanks that night on March 11th. Oh, that was the other thing. Yes, that was it. Night, just yeah. it 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 changed everything. I mean, it just yeah. set, it got it home for people um, in a way that I don't think um, people realize. What was your last normal day? And I know as the father of five. There are not many normal days. And by the way, I loved – there was a picture of, like, all of your kids, all 12 or 14 of them or whatever. Like, I didn't know if that was your kids or you were teaching, like, a kindergarten class. Um, <laughs> like, it, they were, like, on, like, a like a seawall or something or, like, rocks or something. And it was, like, you know, now, like, now that you've got them all where they're all walking and, like, you're, you don't have any, like, in diapers or, like – it's really kind of cool. Like, you've got this whole – you've got a whole basketball team there. I mean – it's, you know, from Trajan on down, you just got like, it's, I don't know. It's, it, it was cool seeing that picture. And like, I don't, I don't know many people brave enough to have five kids that aren't named Richard Corcoran. And it's like, um, you did it. And like, like, and now you're going to get to reap the benefits of this beautiful family for the next, you know, for the rest of your years. I thought it was kind of, it was, it was touching. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, I will say this is the next one. So, so I will not take any credit, right? So when I talk about how challenging it is to work from home while simultaneously teaching uh, your, you know, your kids, your, your homeschooling, um, I am working out of my in-laws' house up the street from, <laughs> from my house. <laughs> so my wife is doing all of the work there, all the yeoman's work, and she's uh, and she's doing amazing work. Uh, it's actually been so so while it's incredibly challenging for her during this time, it's actually been very nice for me in the sense that when I do get home from work, right, the the, the picture you mentioned was you know we all went on a walk because there's no activities now in the evening, right? We're spending you know we're able just to spend more good quality time uh, with them because as they get older, you know the nice thing is as they get older, they're all you know, they're friends with each other. They're uh, more independent. They're more, you know, you can have conversations with them, more people. The, but the other aspect is as they, and, and I know, as you know, you know, they start getting activities. They start doing things on the nights and, and weekends. And so you have less time where everyone's together uh, enjoying that quality time. So that's been really nice. Uh, yeah. Really nice aspect of this. It's, um, I mean, we obviously are an only child family, but, you know, gosh, you know, all of the additional time with Ella has been, it's been amazing. Like just her, and I got to say, she's just responded so well. And, and just like with you, uh, with Courtney, you know, Michelle, like, I just, 
I kind of like wonder like where, like I could not become better the way they become better. Like where they just find like, like if you take, I am a suburban, you take me out for a drive, there's the gears there. There's the, you know, you can get me up into drive or, you know, fourth or fifth gear if I'm a sports car and that's it. It seems like they're able to go, okay, I've got to get this up into seventh gear. I've got to somehow add on homeschooling. Um, and I'm just going to go do it. And you're just like, like, I, I can barely, I, I'm so worried about not getting a haircut. Like, I couldn't do what they're doing here. I just, I really couldn't. I couldn't, any of these parents that are doing that. It's amazing. Um, it's really, it's really impressive. I, I, I will say, you know, the, 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 that is the other nice aspect to it. You know, it's, it's tough because when you're coming from a position where, listen, I didn't, you know, I'm fortunate enough I didn't lose my job, right? A lot of people are suffering. So, uh, both from a health standpoint and from an economic standpoint. So it's hard to draw any positives from this situation when you see all of the, you know, the hurt and pain people are going through. But I will say one positive is, you know, as we spend time, you know, just in my neighborhood, as we go out, you know, we're, we're being very uh, vigilant about social distancing, right? We're only seeing family. That's sort of our, our thing. Only my mother and father-in-law, my brother and sister-in-law and their kids. And we're not seeing any friends, but we do go out in the front yard. We'll, you know, ride bikes or whatever. And, and to see the amount of activity of people going out with their family for walks, sitting out on their porch, right? All things that we could have done prior to this, uh, the, the virus, right? But now as life is slowing down and as there are those less distractions or just that need for more communal time, seeing people do that, I think has been really, you know, really great. And something that I hope, you know, myself and my family included continues after we get through this. Okay. Um, let me land this plane and ask you, yeah. I mean, I know you've given, no, I mean, and I enjoy talking to you and I wish, um, no, I, it, this is what podcasting's about. Like, I, listen, I wouldn't do this podcast if people weren't listening. If it was a tree falling in the forest, I wouldn't do, eventually I would just stop doing it. I'd be like, Hey, nobody's listening to it. Just the same way I would have stopped blogging. Uh, but then people, when you do have Jared Moskowitz asking to come on, when you have people quoting back things that they had heard, but more importantly, like with this one, like, you know what? I feel like some people are getting, um, you know, like they're able to connect with some people that, that they know well, but that they haven't been able to talk to or they've been cut off from. And so it's like this little small community called Flophole, you know, they they're able to stay you know they're able to stay in touch with some people that way and so um i don't know i i i've done a lot of heroic things lately um (laughs) i was just gonna say i was i was about to commend you for uh all you're doing to bring everyone together uh, no i know but i I do i think that's right i i think there is an element where people there's an escapism element but also a familiarity where people want to just be spending time uh, with the people that they, you know, that they know and feel comfortable with. And if you can't do that in person, getting to experience that through, you know, your, uh, podcasts or writing, I think, I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So give me your three recommendations. I know you were talking about TV, but maybe some stuff to, um, read and uh, other things like that. You're, you're so smart about that stuff. Uh, well, thank you. Now, now I got a lot of pressure. I, I think you told me to prepare for this one and I didn't. So, I'm currently reading uh, Andrew a biography of Andrew Carnegie. That's very good. Oh, uh, okay. I'm in, I'm enjoying that. Um, and 
I'm rereading uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I'm doing like a, a Bible study on it, and that is excellent. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read that, but it's very good. Um, and then uh, those are the two books. I just read... Um, I just read Crime and Punishment. So I read all like nonfiction. I think you and I have talked about this before. I'm yeah. trying to get into like fiction and reading the classics. Um, I tried War and Peace like multiple times and never got through it. So I tried uh, Crime and Punishment uh, by Dostoevsky and it was excellent. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so those would be my, they're the three most recent things I've read, but I also would, would recommend them. They're all really good. Well, those are, those are, it's nice. I, I really do uh, take your recommendations. If I could add one, Back, you know, to the audience, it would be uh, Economics Island um, <laughs> by Tony if, DeSisto early if you're on. Looking, if you're looking to help go to sleep at night, I think that would be an excellent one to, to help you. It's been added to the call map. Uh, Matthew McConaughey comes <laughs> on and reads it. And I'm asleep within four minutes every night. Um, my God, that is, I will tell you, if you want something, uh, this is a good recommendation for folks. That calm app is amazing. I will tell you that that really, as somebody that has a um, like, especially when I'm not drinking uh, and I don't have a way to like land the plane, um, and my mind is racing from a day of Corona coverage. That calm app um, is it. It seems to work. Like it's really they, they got that down. They they've got the science of whatever they're doing down. So um, I know there's a lot of anxiety out there right now, and so that'll be my recommendation while I'm laying those out. All right, Tony DeSisto, good to have you. I, um, it's not like I saw you much beforehand, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to promise like, you know, after this is all over, like you're finally going to come over across the bridge or that I'm going to, like I told Mike Griffin, I'm just like, yeah, I'm still not coming to South Tampa. Like I don't, I don't care. Like South Tampa of all the places on earth is like number 200 on the places that I'm going to visit after, after we're, you know, the pandemic is gone, but, uh, it is great to have you on the pod. Um, thank you. It was great to be on the pod. I appreciate you having me best to your family and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you later.